It's taken years and years. Everyone's blessed with one special thing. Thousands of listener requests for more local programming on the weekends on 710 ESPN. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. And more Cambros on the radio. You all know exactly who I am. Say my name. And now, after hosting the popular late night happy hour on Twitter during the pandemic. So, so successful was the late night happy hour that we already have a spinoff. You You get to do it on actual radio. We've given the people what they wanted. Say my name. The Kamenetsky brothers have their own show. to the Saturday morning happy hour with Andy and Brian Kamenetsky. The Cambros. Oh, what a day. What a lovely day. It's fun. It's smart. It's the most fun you can have on a Saturday morning. Um, actually, pretty nice little Saturday. Time for your Saturday morning happy hour. Right, right now. now. everybody. Good morning. It's the Saturday morning happy hour here on 710 ESPN. Kamenetsky Brothers. Brian and Andy, and oh my goodness, Andy, we have a lot to do today between 9 and 11. A lot. Uh, got some serious sports going on, man. Serious. Jessica Mendoza is going to join us to talk baseball at 10 a.m., and we're going to get to say, what up, Beck, with Howard Beck at 1030, talking uh, NBA. Uh, A ton of NBA news coming down yesterday. As the league moves forward towards the uh, the restart, Andy, the the Lakers are going to be going to Orlando in like barely more than a week, like a week and a half. They're they're going on the ninth, I believe. Teams start reporting on the seventh, uh, which is the, the Monday following the holiday, basically. And the Lakers soon to follow. Like it seems like it's happening. This is exciting. Yeah. It does seem like it's happening. Um, it's interesting. The, the league had a conference call yesterday where a lot of details started coming out about, you know, protocols with, with COVID, how they were going to look to try to still keep the messaging out there about social, uh, justice issues and police brutality and like all these different things that they're going to be looking to take place at once during, uh, this bubble experience in Orlando. But, you know, I, I, I want to be careful about how I phrase this in terms of just you recognize that for the people actually testing positive, the, you know, it doesn't feel like good news. But relatively speaking, they, they announced that they had 16 uh, positive COVID tests among the 300 or so NBA athletes tested. Right. Five percent. That is that is much lower than I expected. And, and that's a really, I think positive start to trying to make this thing happen in the bubble like it obviously doesn't mean that they are out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination it doesn't mean that the cautiousness that they're that they're exercising is foolproof but that is a better foundation for where they're beginning than honestly than i expected it's, it, it well, struck me as Relatively speaking, good news. Epidemiologists, epidemiologists seem to be saying that, you know, you want that number to be below 5%. So the, the, the NBA community, 5%, 5.4 is, I think, what they have, but that's the difference in one more negative test or one, if they tested 307 people or whatever it was. Like, statistically, you're right about where you would want to be in terms of controlling, being able to control 
uh, the spread of it. So you're, I agree with you. It's, it's a good place to be for the, for the NBA. Um, and so when you get news, and by the way, we're going to be giving away, uh, we did it last week. We gave away a LeBron James small star figurine. We're going to be doing it uh, again today with uh, Anthony Davis. we got an Anthony Davis small star figurine to give away. We'll do that uh, over the course of this hour based on your phone calls, 877-710-ESPN, uh, weighing in on the things that we're talking about on the show today. Um, and the big news, Andy, uh, the big thing to start with is the schedule. Like, the Lakers have a schedule that they can play in those eight games uh, before the playoffs start. Uh, it is really hard. It's yes, the it is. One. It's the hardest one. Hollinger says so. John Schumann from NBA.com says so. Uh, it starts with the Clippers on July 30th. Uh, so uh, a second season opener, I guess, against the Clippers. Yes, yeah, so Dan um, Wojcik pointed that out on the LA Times. The Lakers and Clippers managed to open the season against each other twice, which is pretty, uh, right, pretty unheard of. A tradition unlike any other. So good. Let's do it again. Um, and then they play Toronto. Utah, Oklahoma City, Houston, Indiana, Denver, and Sacramento. All of these games, you know, eight games in about two weeks. There's a they play every other day uh, with one back to back. The Oklahoma City and Houston games will be back to back. Obviously, all of these games on TV. Um, most of them at pretty decent start times on the West Coast. At least not totally uh, awful for those of you who are are, are back in the office. Um, it. I think when the schedule came out, Andy, it was it was a shock, I think, to some Lakers fans how hard it was. And I know people like you who like to wear your tinfoil hats uh, and things like that were initially very skeptical. Well, yeah. I mean, my initial thought was, because I love, you know, I'm not a tinfoil hat guy in a dangerous way. I'm a conspiracy theorist in a fun way. Like, I enjoy right. fun conspiracies. I want to make sure people understand this. Like, the conspiracy theories that are out there that are dangerous, I'm not a fan of those. <laughs> I want to make no. sure people understand. Like, the, you know, the, the ones that secret, you could argue secret are... Secret societies operating out of the back of pizza restaurants. Yeah, That's those are... Thing. Yeah, right, I, don't, exactly. I, don't truck, I don't truck with those conspiracy theories. I truck with, <laughs> ultimately, harmless conspiracy theories. Right, but and by I've, the way, it should be noted, not just ones that are harmful to the Lakers. You also traffic in conspiracy theories that are beneficial to them, like how oh. the NBA rigged the lottery so the Lakers got 14 number two picks in a row. Oh, yeah. Because the league wants the Lakers to be good. Right, exactly. Oh. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, I, just, I, mean, I don't want people to think you're some sort of kook. No, I mean, the Lakers somehow managed to fall ass backward into lottery picks despite them being steadfast and, no, we won an eight seed. We absolutely will not accept anything other than the playoffs. And and the league took care of them and hooked them up because they were making good on basketball reasons, hashtag never forget, and also because it's better for the league if the Lakers are better. So it is both pragmatic and altruistic. But anyway, when I first saw this difficult schedule, um, my immediate conspiracy theory rationale was the league wants to try to make the race for the number one seed in the West as exciting as possible. So they're going to give the Lakers a more difficult schedule than what the Clippers got at number two and Denver got at number three, particularly the Clippers. The Clippers schedule is fairly easy. 
The Clippers but, have six. The Clippers have six games against the Bulls, which I don't even understand because the Bulls aren't invited. Like but that's then, how the Clippers schedule is. But then I actually uh, got more of an explanation on on the way this went down, and really, it is just about the remaining games the Lakers had on the schedule. Unfortunately for them, all of their easy games got wiped out because those teams <laughs> right. are involved. So, exactly. as it turns out. This thing is on the up and up. It's just this is how it shook out for the Lakers. Right, my way is more fun, but way more fun. All of these teams that the Lakers still face were teams that they were going to play, like you say, Andy. Um, That was the number one thing that the NBA was trying to preserve: were games that were going to happen anyway, matchups that were going to happen anyway. Um, Obviously, like you said, you can't play a team that's not there. Um, so, you know, there goes the Detroit game, uh, you know, there goes the Charlotte game. And the only thing I guess the league could have done was figured out a way for the Lakers. They had a game left against Washington, but there aren't a lot. If you go through every team schedule, Andy, there aren't a lot of cross conference games. So mm-hmm. that was probably not going to happen. Um, and then they did have a game left. They, they had a game left against Phoenix. So like that's a division team. The NBA could have swapped that out, but let's say, let's say you take the Indiana game out and you put in Phoenix. It's still a really hard schedule. There was it was almost preordained that the Lakers were going to have a really hard schedule because those are the teams left on, you know, before the stoppage. So it is what it is. Yeah, it is. And again, <laughs> as as much as I love the idea of the Machiavellian league, you know, whether for good or for you know evil, whatever. Oh, preferably fact for evil. Yeah, well, again, not too evil because I I, no, but, I like conspiracy no, but, theories that are ultimately fun. But to yes. rile up a bunch of people on a Saturday morning, evil is better. Yes, that is true. That is true. But uh, yeah, th- this is just the way it shook out for the Lakers. Um, and there is, though, I think you have to think about in terms of the these eight games. What are the purpose? What is the purpose of playing them? What do the Lakers get out of them? What do you want to be using this for? before you eventually take on the eight seed. Because the, let's start this from the outset. The Lakers are not going to lose that eight seed. Yes, they it will is, be the number one seed. Yeah, it is virtually impossible for the Lakers to lose that eight seed. I mean, if they beat the Clippers in the opener, it's a wrap. Like, it, it is almost impossible to lose it anyway. But if they beat them in the opener, it's a wrap. So then you start breaking down from there. If there is no actual chase for the eight seed, what is the benefit for the Lakers? Is there a benefit for the Lakers? And we both agree there's a very strong benefit for the Lakers with the schedule being as difficult as it is. And we'll explain what that is coming up next. Small stars, uh, figurine giveaways, 877-710-ESPN. Lots to do today. It's the Saturday morning happy hour, 710 ESPN. This is the Saturday morning happy hour on 710 ESPN. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back with the Cambros. So I'm looking at a, uh, a tweet right now showing them installing a fence around the Disney's Grand Floridian, a barrier fence. Um, I, that's not where the Lakers are staying. I'm assuming another one will go up around where the Lakers are staying, the Lakers and Bucks, I believe. Uh, that is designed to keep, I believe, Kyle Kuzma in. <laughs> Make sure he doesn't wander <laughs> off too far. 
They're uh, with the social with the social stuff, Andy. Do you think with with Kuzma is it a matter of a shock collar, like a chip, like you know, injecting him with chip. a chip? Shock like what's collar, the shock collar's a lot. <laughs> shock collar's a lot, but I, I also I, sometimes I, feel like his urge to leave will be a lot. He has a, <laughs> like, he has a strong he has a strong social instinct. There's no question. Yes, but um, I feel like I, which is what you're getting at. But I, I think that yeah. I, you know, the, I, I uh, that's a lot. It is. It is. I mean, a, a chip. They got to do something. Like they, they've got to. Maybe somebody that's there just to saying, like track just, Kuzma. Have, you, he has a guy. You have one guy who's there, whose job it is to just keep an eye on Kyle. And look, yeah, I, like we, a, don't, we don't mean to be hard on him, but like you know, he's he because you know Kyle Kuzma absolutely one hundred percent very very much cares about winning, cares about playing. Uh, but he is he is a young man of the NBA. He, he yes. enjoys his social life. Um, and this is going to be tough on him. So I mean, uh, they are they are lucky in the sense, and uh, we heard Sedano talk about this during the break. Ain't really anything to do in Orlando. Like no. in, in that sense, as much as you're going to get sick of being inside the bubble, you know, I, I think a lot of players are going to start getting stir crazy. Particularly if you're on a team like the Lakers, that I do think is going to be in this thing for a while. You know, the upshot is, <laughs> what are you escaping for? Well, yeah, it's it's sort of like in in uh, Breaking Bad when Jesse Pinkman is like being uh, like held in that pit or whatever, and you know, <laughs> it, it tries to escape. Like you want to escape, but at the same time, you're in the middle of the desert. Where are you going to go? I mean, like if right. they put this thing in Vegas, um, like the the temptation to uh, for a lot of players, not just not just Kyle Kuzma, but for a lot of players to come join the dark side would have been strong. Um, but in Orlando, like I stayed in, in Orlando, like downtown Orlando proper, uh, when the Lakers were playing the Magic in the finals in 2009. And like we heard Sedano say in the promo, Andy, it's fine, but you don't risk, you know, your, your health and, you know, the, 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 the success of your team and all that stuff to go party in Orlando. It just doesn't happen. Um, 877710 ESPN is the number. We're going to be giving away a small stars figurine of Anthony Davis. Uh, we'll tweet it out what they look like. They're really cool. I'm doing got, that um, right now. Andy's doing that at Cam Brothers. Based on the strength of your phone calls, uh, we're gonna we're gonna the the topic will eventually be team. Which team do you think is the most dangerous for the Lakers to face? And when we go through the Western Conference, uh, because a lot of movement is going to happen in those eight games, and the Lakers in that four they'll play the winner of that four five matchup, barring something really weird in the first round, and any of the teams, Andy, below them aside from, I guess, probably the Clippers, could be part of that 4-5 or five matchup. So we want to talk a little bit about uh, which teams do you think are the best draw, which teams do you think are the worst draw, Eight seven 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 ten espn uh, But you had talked about before, the Lakers have the hardest schedule of any of these 22 teams coming back to the pandemic tournament. Uh, they open with the Clippers on July 30th. It goes Toronto, Utah, OKC, Houston, Indiana, Denver, and then Sacramento, who could be playing quite literally for their playoff future. Like in that last game, it could be the one that determines whether or not they get to that play-in game with Memphis. So they're going to – the Kings, who were playing well before the break, could have a lot to play for in that final game. It looks kind of on paper like the Lakers got screwed. But as you were saying, Andy, not necessarily the case. No, I actually think this is a real benefit for the Lakers because ultimately the purpose of these games, you know, outside of creating the TV element for uh, the NBA and for all its uh, partners, including, you know, ESPN, the, 
you want to try to get yourself back into form, you know, getting ready for the playoffs after a three and a half month break that's unlike any other offseason or any other type of break you've ever experienced, you know, where typically guys are playing. You know, these guys play basketball year-round. You haven't been able to do that. And for the Lakers, you're going to be looking to figure this out now without Avery Bradley, who's not going to be traveling with the team because of concerns about the health of his young son, who has uh, respiratory issues and, you know, just the, the concerns with not being able to bring his family uh, bring his family down, but also not, you know, not uh, wanting to bring it back, the Lakers have an opportunity now to really test themselves and really get themselves going back again against very difficult competition in a way that bears no consequences whatsoever. They are not, they are not going to yeah. lose the eight seed. Like we talked about before. Oh, the, top, the one seed. They will I mean, the play one seed, the eight seed. Me, I'm sorry. They're going right. to play the eight seed. They're sure, going right. to lose the one seed. If, if they win against the Clippers in the opener, it's essentially a wrap at that point. So unless you're concerned that the Lakers would somehow lose confidence if they finish those eight games three and five, and I'm not worried about that at all, they actually get the benefit of testing themselves and getting themselves back in basketball shape against legit competition on, without right, any on type of terms. fallout at yes. all. Absolutely right. On their terms, they, if AD needs a day because he has a, uh, you know, the knee is a little soft, whatever it might be, you can sit guys, you can play everyone, you can play no one, you can test out rotations where the, you know, you integrate Dion Waiters and presumably, I guess, J.R. Smith, you can give him a little bit of run to see if, can he actually play? Like, cause this is the thing about both Dion Waiters and J.R. Smith is we don't know yet what those guys, if anything, can contribute. Um, and so you want to be able to see that without having to worry about dropping from a, a two seed to a five seed or something like that. And so, you know, because the Lakers aren't going to lose the one seed in the West, because it doesn't matter anymore if they catch the Bucks for the one seed, which was a, which people forget was a thing. It was a developing thing as, as the, the, the pandemic hit and the league was shut down. The Lakers were creeping up on Milwaukee. Giannis was hurt and was going to have to play, you know, the Bucks were going to have to play uh, a few games without him. The Lakers had a chance to be the overall number one. Now that doesn't matter because home court advantage isn't a thing anymore. The Lakers have the ultimate amount of freedom and flexibility here. And again, aside from, I guess, the Clippers, who probably aren't going to drop much, they're three games out of the four. So, they can drop to the three. It doesn't really matter. Still stay on the opposite side of Lakers. Other than, I guess, maybe the Clippers, who have to be conscious of it, no other team in the Western Conference has the kind of flexibility to do what the Lakers can in these eight games. I think it's a huge advantage. Plus, you want to see, Andy, wouldn't you want to see Houston up close and Utah up close and all these things? Like, it's one thing to scout it. Like, you want to be on the floor with those Absolutely. I mean, you're ace. Totally. And again, in a way that is consequence-free, I mean, mm-hmm. if they, they could go 0 and 8, and it likely will not change their standing in the playoffs. If the Lakers got a schedule, frankly, more like the Clippers, you know, you might get initially excited at the idea of the Lakers, you know, going 6 and 2, 7 and 1 out of the gate, looking hot. But what does it really mean? Like, what does it mean if they beat Brooklyn? What does it mean if they beat Phoenix? I mean, to be honest, they're not a terrible team, but what does it mean if you beat Dallas? What does it mean if you beat 
the Pelicans early on. Like right. the, For reference the Clippers, point, the Clippers after that initial game against the Lakers get New Orleans, Phoenix, Dallas, Portland, Brooklyn, Denver, OKC. Yeah, that's it's a significantly easier, but you're so, right. So what? way easier. Like uh, the, I'm sure the Clippers will have a really good record off that, and the Clippers are a good team. I'm not trying to discount that. I'm just saying, what do they really get out of this in terms of tangible benefit? Trying to get as ready as possible for these playoffs. Like I, I think the Lakers are so much better served actually being challenged. It's it's much more of a benefit. Yeah, it's a challenge. It's a scouting opportunity. Like I look at Houston, for example, and again, eight seven 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 ten ESPN. Uh, we're giving away a small stars figurine uh, for the best caller uh, over the course of the of this hour and, and, and the show. We might be able to even do a second one. Um, like a team like Houston played really well after the trade that first game, you know, with Covington and uh, you know alongside Westbrook and Harden. They played really well against the Lakers. Uh, look great, and then kind of slow down. But that's in part because Harden and Westbrook clearly hit a wall physically, which makes sense, particularly in the case of Harden, who was doing, I think, Andy, you could argue, yeoman's work offensively for much of the season, yeah, averaging like 40 points a game. So, like, they hit a wall, but now they're they rested. They're ready to go. And while I don't think the Rockets could win a title, they could absolutely challenge you in a series and you want to get on the floor and and be up next to James Harden uh, up next to Westbrook not watching from the stands not watching on TV and get a real feel for what that team looks like and then you go up and down the Western Conference and it's the same with all these teams so um, you're right like what do you get out of a game against the Nets other than a chance to let Dion Waiters look good not just play, but maybe look really good. But what does that teach you? Nothing. No, I mean, I'd say the only flaw with the Lakers' schedule in terms of, like, true overall benefit that they could have gotten and didn't, it would have been nice to see them get a game against Portland just because if Portland somehow manages to get that eighth seed, that by right. definition means they're playing extremely well, and it's a version of Portland that the Lakers did not get during right. the regular season. So I would say, you know, you swap out Sacramento for Portland, their schedule would be, I'd say, perfect. Like, literally perfect in terms of making these eight games mean the most. Like, I, I really think the late, in back so, to my conspiracy maybe, theories, maybe the league looked the out league for the once Lakers. again, looking yes. out for L.A. Yes. But in a way that you don't expect. David Stern once said the ultimate finals is Lakers versus Lakers. His legacy lives on. Um, I do want to talk about that because – the uh, and we got Jessica Mendoza coming up in a half hour, and we'll change gears to baseball pretty soon here. But the Lakers, like who they could play in the playoffs, could shift dramatically over those eight games. Best teams to match up against, worst teams to match up against. Eight seven 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 ten ESPN. Uh, we're giving away a small stars figurine to the best callers on this one. Uh, we'll talk about that next. It's a Saturday morning happy hour. Andy Kamenetsky, Brian Kamenetsky, seven ten ESPN. You're listening to the Saturday Morning Happy Hour with the Cam Brothers. It was between the brothers, King. This is the Saturday Morning Happy Hour on 710 ESPN. All right, 877-710-ESPN. Uh, Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, Saturday Morning Happy Hour, giving away a uh, Small Stars figurine 
of Anthony Davis to our best callers today. Um, talking right now, though, we want to hear from you as well about who you think the best and worst matchups are for the Lakers in the playoffs. Are there any teams other than the Clippers that, that frighten you? Because, Andy, if you look through the standings, it is 100% possible, just in that 4-5 matchup that will you know, likely determine who the Lakers play in the second round, it could be any of the teams. I'm, in, I'm including the Clippers here. If for some reason they stumble a little bit or have to rest too many guys or whatever it might be. Like, they could play any of the remaining six teams from Denver, the Clippers, um, OKC, Houston, Utah, Dallas. All of them could end up in that four or five. Are there are there teams in that group that you think are better or worse for the Lakers than others? Well, like we said, for the time being, we're holding off on the Clippers just because we we know they're presuming the th- they stay right, right, and also just we we know a lot about the the matchup issues or potential matchup issues between the Lakers and the Clippers just because it's been discussed so much over the course of this year because we so badly want to see this in the playoffs. Come on, 2020. Like, you've given us nothing this year. Give us this. Like, cut us, like, just throw us a small bone and give us this. You know what's interesting? It would be the ultimate 2020 thing to somehow remove that matchup as an option. Of course. Of course. Like, because 2020 is just one big middle finger. We're not going to get it. But I, I was thinking about in terms of matchups that could be tough, if not necessarily upsetting the Lakers, because it, it, at the end of the day, it's hard for me to imagine the Lakers getting upset. Just because I think if they if they come out, if they come back playing the way they were, they are clearly, if not the best team in the West, better than just about everybody else in ways that are demonstrative. But with Avery Bradley not playing, the Thunder, who I think were already going to be a pain in the ass matchup for anybody who played against them, and they were playing very well before the season gets suspended. Uh, they become really tricky, I think, or potentially tricky, because they run a lot of three-guard sets, and Avery Bradley was the best guy on the Lakers when it comes to specifically providing ball pressure and, right. and getting up on guards at the beginning of their sets and trying to disrupt them from the outset. And not having Bradley there the way the Thunder operate, particularly down the stretches of games. Again, I'm not saying the Thunder, I think, would upset the Lakers, but I already thought the Thunder are maybe the most underrated team among the Western Conference uh, playoff teams. And now I think they could really get interesting when it comes to a matchup against the Lakers. And the thing about OKC, and this is, they remind me a little bit of like the, the grit and grind Memphis teams. Um, from a few years ago where those teams generally lost in the playoffs, but the team that beat them paid a price. Like you have to work your tail off to beat that team. And so you get through it and it might only take six games, but now you go into the, the next round and you use so much more energy than the team that you're facing. And it comes back and it hurts you a little bit. So, if the Lakers get the Thunder in the second round, I actually agree with you. I don't think they'd lose, but I think it makes a potential Western Conference final against the Clippers harder. Yeah. You know, like, whereas if they played, you know, Dallas, if they played Houston, and I, 
the Rockets kind of scare me only because I don't know what that is. Like, if you give them the the a little bit of what amounts to an off season to get everyone healthy again, I don't know what that looks like. Where the Rockets have a fresh Harden, a fresh Westbrook, and now you start to add Covington and PJ Tucker because they're not they're not small; they're short. You know, they've actually got a bunch of long and big guys. Like Harden and Westbrook are a load physically are a load. So like that could be uh, its own sort of unique challenge, but physically, I just don't think that beats you up in the same way that a thunder series does. And people forget Andy, the thunder had more wins than any other team other than the bucks after Thanksgiving, more wins than the Lakers after Thanksgiving. So like, just because they don't have the star power uh, beyond Chris Paul, who I think is somebody that people have kind of forgotten about, that does not mean that they aren't really dangerous. Well, and Chris Paul, too, has been a fourth-quarter killer this year. I mean, Chris Paul is all – I mean, his playoff reputation insofar as, you know, choking in the playoffs, I think is really the product of just a couple games. If you look at Chris Paul's playoff numbers, they're actually really good. Like, yes. by and large, Chris Paul has brung it in the playoffs. He, he is a really good playoff guy. But this season, he's been one of the best fourth-quarter players in the league. That three-guard set with him, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and Dennis Schroeder, who I, I'm typically not a big fan of, but credit where credit's due, he's been really good this year. Plus Danilo Gallinari, who is a really tricky matchup. You know, He plays in this herky-jerky style. He gets guys into foul trouble. And then Steven Adams, who's just physically imposing, he is – sets the mother of all screens getting guys open. They're a matchup I would want to avoid if I'm the Lakers, not because I think they'd lose, because ultimately right. you know, I think there'd be some close games, but the Lakers will come out on top. But like you said, you pay for that in flesh. Like There is a physical toll for that series. I, I, you, you look around the rest of it. I, I, still think, I still think that if they can get back more to their early season form. The Nuggets were not great coming out of the All-Star break. You know, a lot of that really good defense that they were playing um, slipped out of the All-Star break. But if they get that back, everyone's healthy again. Denver had a lot of injury problems. Nikola Jokic surprising the hell out of people by looking like he's in shape. He got coronavirus, um, but assuming he comes back from that without a lot of after effects, he looked fit. Like, a fit Nikola Jokic. We saw those pictures coming out of Serbia. Like, that's its own deal. I want the Clippers and the Nuggets to stay on the opposite side of the bracket. Like, that is the best outcome, I think, for the Lakers still, is for those two teams to be on the other side of the bracket so you only have to beat one of them. And it's also, on the too, way to the it's, it's also the best in terms of television. Like, you want whoever the Lakers play between the Clippers and the Nuggets in that Western Conference Finals you you want you don't want to burn one of those matches on the way there. Like you, you want to have that type of suspense. I mean, I, I, TV, I think. I, TV I'm sure would want, want want them to play both. But I, as a Lakers fan, I think you just you don't want a path that like the glide path where like for weird things happen and you get nobody. Maybe maybe you want a little more of a challenge. Maybe you want it to feel more legitimate than that. But there's no reason to make it excessively difficult. You don't have to line up. Every, look, you're going to get. But you're going to get challenge in front of them. Look, if the Lakers end up playing 
Houston, plenty of star power there. If they end up playing the Thunder, plenty of star power there. I I, I feel well, like if you play Dallas, sp- it's Porzingis and Luca. Right. I feel like there's plenty to spread around, so everybody can end up winning there. All right, eight seven 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 ten ESPN's number. Where uh, we're gonna shift to baseball here. We got Jessica Mendoza coming up in about twenty minutes. Sixty games, Andy. That's it. Is that good or bad for the Dodgers? We'll talk about that next. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, Saturday morning, happy hour, 710 ESPN. When two shows become one. Hey there, George. Hi. How are you, George? (laughs) (laughs) Crosstalk. Mornings at 940. The Morning Show and the Sedano Show. On 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Saturday Morning Happy Hour with the Cam Brothers. Unfortunately, he discovered too late that hermano in Spanish meant brother. Live and local on 710. Now Saturday mornings from 9 to 11 a.m. after Dr. Clapper. Oh, do you think so, doctor? This is the Saturday Morning Happy Hour on 710 ESPN. I'll be 710 ESPN Kamenetsky Brothers. I'm Brian. That's Andy. And uh, we learned a lot more about uh, Major League Baseball and their restart this week. And the players and owners finally got around to not agreeing. And that means <laughs> baseball got to impose their deal onto the players. 60 games, no expanded postseason. Um, and figuring out what this means for every team across baseball is kind of fascinating because if you're a bad team, if you're the Baltimore Orioles or, you know, some middling team, you know, the Cincinnati Reds with a couple good players and maybe some prospects, whatever, you've got to be 100% stoked about what this looks like. And ESPN on the other side, the flip side of this, Andy, ESPN did – uh, some polling around with their their media and, and whatever and tried to pick which teams benefit the most from this are best suited for it. The Dodgers ranked really high in the in, in the this is good for them category. I actually don't buy that at all. I actually think 60 games with an abbreviated spring training and and all of that is is bad for the Dodgers. I can explain why, but I'm curious what you think first. I mean, my initial instinct was that it would be good for the Dodgers just because everybody's going to be trying to adjust to this and Mm -hmm. everybody's going to be figuring it out on the fly as they go. There's no template. So when in doubt, have a lot of options to do it. Right. And the Dodgers have have the most good players. Right. The the Dodgers, not just the most good players, they have the most versatility in how they will use those players. Like they have the most versatility in terms of, okay, we didn't expect this to be an issue. This is how we go about solving it. Like they, they just have the most potential workarounds. I think of every, every other team, like beyond the talent, like they're not just stacked in one particular way. So to me, that seemed like they'd be particularly well suited for a situation like this. But why do you think that's not the case? Because all of the stuff that you're talking about. Is is predic are things that I think play out better over 162 games, so where you have a larger sample size and things like that. And there are too many parts of this uh, that kind of eat into LA's advantage. Like, for example, the Dodgers 
have a starting rotation that lines up Kershaw or Bueller, Bueller or Kershaw, then Price, Urias, and I guess presumably like Alex Wood. That is way better than anything. Like Julio Urias is their fourth starter. That's way better than anything anybody else is going to be able to put out there. I don't think there's any question about that. Except now, with the way that it's set up, those guys at most get 10 starts, 9 starts, you know, 11, whatever it might be. And because spring training is shortened the way it is, none of those guys are going to be able to hit the ground being able to give you seven or eight innings off the bat. It's probably going to be at the beginning of the year, like those first 15, 20 games, two, three starts that these guys go through, Andy. It's going to be three innings, four innings, five innings, six at the most for a lot of them. So the, the like this the advantage that they have with starting pitching is kind of mitigated. I actually I think but, a lot but of why teams, is it mitigated? Here's what I understand though: Why is it mitigated though? Because all these other teams that don't have the same starting uh, caliber pitching, they don't have that same talent. They're still right. dealing with the same obstacles. So whatever whatever the, advantages right. the know, Lakers, I mean, whatever advantages the Dodgers lose, the disadvantages for these other teams would be just as uh, magnified. Most most teams struggle to find really good depth in their starting pitching. If depth in your starting pitching matters less, then you're better off. Now, but but talent though still matters. But but the talent still matters. Those teams will have to right. But it matters less. But then I feel like the gap is still there. That's what that's what I don't understand with your logic. I'm not saying that the gap isn't there. I'm saying it's a whole lot smaller. And so if you I disagree but continue. Teams can miss Mitch Teams can mix and match their, you know, you get to carry 60 guys. So if you've got, you you can throw a bunch of bullpen arms. Like do what like the Rays were doing last year. I believe it was the Rays that would have an opener instead of a, a starting pitcher. They would yeah. throw out a lot of guys, you know, guys, a bullpen guy who's designed to go three or four innings. You, I think, have an opportunity to paper over some of the, uh, some of the shortcomings that you might have in your team that over 162 games probably doesn't work, but you have a chance to make it work better over 60 games when the sample size is smaller and the, 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 the exposure isn't as high. Like you go back and you look at the first 60 games last year, Andy, the Pirates were one of the the better teams in the National League over the first 60 games last year. Weird stuff can happen the smaller than the same. Right, but I, but I think the flip the side, though... finished it like 35 games out last year. Right, but I think the flip side, though, of what you're talking about is just as likely because if, if you don't have as much of an opportunity to paper over things or you don't have as many options to paper over things, if you get off to a bad start, you may be done. Right, that, like, that's true of the Dodgers. That's if the Dodgers right, but, bad injury, but the Dodgers bad. though don't. But the Dodgers don't line up as easily yeah. some of these other teams to imagine having a bad start. Right. You're not. So I think the I think the gap that you're, you're talking you're, about is you, the same either way. You're you're I think overstating what I'm saying here. I'm not saying the Dodgers aren't good. I'm not saying it's not better to be have talent and whatever. I'm saying that the Dodgers are more susceptible to. A random injury that no, takes a guy out. No, for, see, you know, I, I understand what you're saying. I think you're wrong. I understand no. exactly what you're saying. I think your theory is faulty be, because all of these other teams are facing the exact same issues, but they don't have as many options. It's not like these options are, are these I'm, issues are right. specific to the Dodgers. That's true. 
but they have, you have more of an opportunity. There is more. I'm just saying, statistically speaking, you can go individual team by team and say, that team doesn't have enough of this. That team doesn't have enough of that. That's going to hurt them. That's going to hurt them. That every year in baseball, every year, there's at least two or three teams. There are two or three players. There are uh, four or five guys on, you know, that play way over their head. And if they do that over the first 60 games, if Cody Bellinger uh, or Justin Turner are injured or have that slow start or whatever it is, the Dodgers are going to lose something somewhere. On paper, yes, they have the best team. And there's no question having more talent helps them. But all I'm saying is, and I'm guaranteeing it, and I'll use the Pirates again as an example, there is always a team always a couple teams that play over their head the dodgers had the most talent a couple years ago got off to that like weird slow start and then one you know went like 52 and 7 or whatever it was and corrected the record that way this year that 10 and 10 you know stretch or a, an 8 and 12 stretch where you should go 15 and 5 could be enough to put you behind another team that's right, but th- but that's but that's not heads. a fun- right, but that's not a function of the Dodgers having less of an advantage. That's just a function fun- of the season. That's my point. Because the season eats into their advantage because it leaves more space for weird things to happen statistically. I guess but that's but I, that is right, but, sixty game season for but a team all, as but the, at the same the Dodgers, time though some of these are bad. Sure, but all of these other teams that don't have even close to the same talent, the Dodgers, if they get off to a slow start. Can they still have the talent to actually get themselves back into it? Of course, just they do. you know, most of these other teams, though, it, without the talent, if they have a slow start, they're likely done. But it's that's the, Dodgers, the difference. It's the Dodgers versus the field, and so you know, when when you break it down, you don't it, it's you don't have to figure out which team it's going to be. All you need to know is one of those teams is going to do it. And in in a normal season, there would be two or three teams that can sustain something over 162 games because eventually all the things about your roster and all the things about your talent come through in a 60 game season. Not all that stuff's going to get exposed. I can't, you are correct. I can't tell you Andy, which team is going to be the one that plays over its head. Um, that could be threatening to the Dodgers where you look at it and go, why, how the hell is that team in playoff contention? Well, it's not, it ain't going to be in their division. I'll tell you that much. I mean, that's one of the advantages the Dodgers have. I mean, right, it, yeah, I saw, but they're also going to see like Houston and sure, see but more, I, like, I, so I like, zips zips did a, you know, forecast for the 2020 schedule. And part of the reason like the Dodgers had such an advantage over the Giants in terms of projected wins is just the Dodgers getting to play the Giants, play the Giants. and the Giants, the Giants having to play, play the Dodgers. Themselves. Right. Yes. The Giants can't play themselves. There's no exactly. question. I, I expect the Dodgers to win. I'm just saying this stuff makes it harder than it otherwise would have been, where it would have been a cakewalk. It's not such a cakewalk anymore. But you know who knows better than this? Yes, Mendoza. Jessica Mendoza. And we will ask her these questions next. It's a Saturday morning happy hour here on 710 ESPN.